Yeah. Right. Good morning. This uh, morning's uh, conversation, this uh, soulful speech, is uh, in memory of Hayabat Lea, that's my auntie Annette Alea Shalom. That's uh, A.B. Cohen donated it in memory of his grandmother, Annette Cohen Alea Shalom. Uh, the beginning of Parashat Toledot, the Torah describes, of course, the famous sale of the Bechorah from Esav to Yaakov. And the words and the situation leading up to it is very telling because as Esav comes back from the field, the Pasuk says, he turns to Yaakov, who, whom he sees preparing a lentil soup, and he says to him, Give me, or hand over, or as Rashi has it, pour it into my throat from the Adom Ha'adom, the very red item, because I'm very tired. What's with the red stuff? Why call attention to that in the Torah, that that was his words? In fact, the Pasuk says, in concluding that statement, Alken, for that reason, he's known as Edom. Esav's descendants forevermore, the nation became known as Edom, which is very telling, because he was born as an Admoni. He was born ruddy. He was red in terms of his complexion. You'd imagine that he'd be known as Edom because of what he looked like at his birth. That's what I was calling our attention to the irony. That's not why he's known as Red One. He's known as the Red One because of his expression, his remark to Yaakov in that moment. What's the significance of the redness of the soup? That for that reason, he's forevermore known as Edom. I'd suggest, quite briefly and simply, that when we talk about things in that fashion, the Torah calling attention to that one sentence, it's describing the superficial nature of Esav. Because instead of referring to the essence of the matter, instead of describing it as food, or as soup more specifically, he instead only describes it as its color, the redness. That describes, in a sentence, who Esav was. You see, if you read the narrative in the Torah, Esav doesn't emerge immediately or even down the line as an individual who's really rotten and evil as we oftentimes understand him. Uh, so how is it then that we describe him and understand him in that, uh, through those lenses that the Hachamim paint for, uh, for us? And I believe it's in these sorts of quick statements that the Torah wants us reading behind the line and understanding and realizing that line expresses and describes who he was. He was an individual who lacked depth. He was a person who couldn't understand, speak, or even think on a greater level of depth than just the superficiality, what it looked like. It's for that reason as well, quite simply, that he sells the Bechorah. Why do I need Bechorah? That's a matter of essence. That's a matter that I need to think about and understand its responsibilities, its privileges. That's not a matter for me. I'm about the superficiality. I might not have a capability of even redeeming that Bechorah from the financial standpoint, so why is it necessary for me at all? In truth, the Hachamim, as I understand it, in the Midrash, allude to this fact, but on the other way. They describe Yaakov as defying that superficiality. They understand Yaakov, our ancestor, as going at the essence of matters instead of the superficial, external matters. Uh, the Midrash has uh, on the following pasuk as Yitzhak, encounters Yaakov and exclaims, he remarks, The Hachamim understand that, well, it is, as a question, how is it possible that he feels like Esav but sounds like Yaakov? And they tell a funny, a curious story. They describe a philosopher, in addition to Bil'am, 
uh, that lived in the time of Rabbi Meir. We know about him from several other Midrashim. And this philosopher, uh, many uh, non-Jews at the time, idolaters, entered into Avnimos Hadgardi's, uh, I guess, abode or his uh, academy and asked him the following question, Tomar Amrulo, Tomar She'anu Yecholim Nizdaveg Le'uma Zot. He said to them, how is it and when is it that we'll be able to get married to this nation? Ta'am Yisrael was the question that they had to Amar lechu he said, go and look in their synagogues, in their study halls. If you found little children who are mitzafzefim, mitzafzef really means to chirp. It's really the sound a bird makes. It's an interesting description, which I want to return to in a moment. It says, if you'll hear them chirping the little children, you'll know that you're not able to mate with them. You'll know that you can't marry him. Because this was the promise of their forefather. It was Yitzhak's words. If the voice or the sound of Yaakov is ringing out, well, then the hands of Esav won't have any grasp, won't have any entrance to them. If alternatively the voice of Yaakov is silent, well, that's when you'll be able to enter in. Now, what's the Midrash describing? What is it, this conflict between Kol Kol Yaakov and Yadai Midrash? Of course, on the surface level, the interpretation of the Midrash is the more Torah we study, the more Tefillah we have, the greater we are in terms of separating ourselves from non-Jews. But maybe there's an added depth over here. Maybe that chirping of the children. In fact, Maharal alludes to this in his commentary to Megillat Esther and Or Hadash. Maybe the chirping of the birds, the children's voices, the Kol Yaakov alludes to the essence of a person, alludes to the depth of us, as opposed to touching, which is coarse and external. And what I mean by that, what the Chachamim are maybe describing in that respect, is that the greatness of Am Yisrael, when they achieve greatness, is because they avoid the superficiality. It's not what it looks like or what it feels like, it's what it is. In fact, the description of chirping like birds as opposed to words that are being spoken to a certain extent speaks to this as well. When we are at our greatest moments of truth, sometimes it's through crying, other times it's through soulful song, it's in circumstances where words don't necessarily encapsulate what our inner self is really all about. To be mitzvah to be chirping or singing and, and humming like a bird, is to just bring forth a sound. Hakol kol Yaakov, the contrast to Esav, which is yadaim, which is touch, which is feeling, which is what it looks like and what it appears like and what it feels like, is what it truly is. The ability for Am Yisrael to overcome and to separate and distinguish themselves from others is our ability to define ourselves not by what we look like or what we feel like, but rather by what we are, by what our voice really sounds out. Truth is, it's uh, on many occasions been a, a true feeling for me 
Um, but uh, just recently in, uh, in Israel uh, last week, I, I experienced this in a very real sense on more than one occasion. I experienced it when we were in Kibbutz Be'eri and we were in the synagogue which housed just some 40, 50 people and we filled the room and it's a kibbutz which was ravaged over the recent events in Israel, both in terms of lives lost and those who were kidnapped and taken hostage and the whole kibbutz was uh, destroyed in terms of its infrastructure and so on. And we're in uh, this small synagogue with, I think, in the center of the kibbutz, and uh, we entered into Preyman Han. My, my coach, my rabbinic coach, Charles uh, Shehebar, told me it's important that we make a mishiberach, he was spot on, a mishiberach for those taken captive, a mishiberach for those who passed away on the kibbutz, and there was a list of names over there, and all I did was read the names, and I didn't even finish a fifth of them. There were so many deceased. And I think even at that point already, there was a stirred emotion in the room. But there was an individual who was taking us around the kibbutz, an individual who seemed stoic, a 30-year-old or so young man, and he was showing us one place after the other. Now, he had emotion, but it was an emotion that was somewhat veiled most of the time. He was speaking matter-of-factly. He was thinking about the future of how to raise funds, how to bring solidarity of the nation to the kibbutz. We finished reading those names after the tefillah, and I had a thought in the moment without my coach. I said, maybe we should sing a song. And we sang Ahenu, which of course is the song that many people are singing now, speaking to the solidarity of us as a nation. But just the simple words and the slow tune and the arms around one another. When I looked at this person who had been taking us around, his name is Or, he had tears streaming down his face because I think in that moment, above and beyond any words that were exchanged, beyond any money which was being transferred, and beyond even uh, a description of who we are being there with them, there was some essence felt. I think the song, I think the solidarity, I think the moment transcended all else to the extent that it brought forth in him and in us true feelings. I think there was in essence a kol kol Yaakov moment in which we truly went be above and beyond any ha'adom ha'adom hazeh, looking at the superficiality of what it appears to be or what it feels like. Or, we, we arrived at, at Essence in that moment. There was another time we were on a, uh, a base and we were meeting with a, uh, with a group of individuals who would go on uh, these strong hummers from their post right outside of Gaza into Gaza. And, you know, bases had a lot of potential for us. There could be songs and there could be food and there could be theatrics and there could be celebrities there. The moment that for me was most meaningful is when we were sitting at a table similar to this one with a few soldiers on the other side and one was an older man who'd been in this, I call it profession, for many years and he spoke very matter-of-factly and from the heart to us. That, for me, was a moment in which everything, everything became silent and I was zoned in. I think I was sitting next to Morris and he just spoke matter-of-factly and clearly about his emotions, his understandings, the people, the team around. He was clearly an important person. People came and were talking to him. But it wasn't about the theatrics. It wasn't about the food that was being served. We actually didn't get much food on that base. They ate all the food. But it was more about the essence. It was more about just sitting with him and him looking us in the eye and speaking to us about truth, about the reality as he experienced it. Now, there's a famous Hasidic story about the Baal Shem Tov, the story I think you're all familiar with. Maybe you've been told about others. But regardless, it's that there was a young boy and his father who enter into the Knis during Ne'ilah on Yom Kippur and the young child brought up in a side uh, suburb or a village of some sort had no Jewish background, didn't know how to read words, didn't know any of the tefillah, didn't know anything and as he saw the fervor and passion in the room on Kippur and Ne'ilah and the Baal Shem Tov's Midrash must have been a sight to see, uh, he walked up to the Aron and began whistling. 
And in the moment, everyone wanted to quiet him, but he continued, and he got louder, and he got more expressive in his whistling. And when they finished the tefillah, the Baal Shem Tov remarked to the people around him, you should know the noise that those whistles made up in heaven. You should understand that those soulful cries, no words, a kol kol Yaakov, just a moment in which the essence came forth, the chirping of the children in the Bate Midrashot and Bate Knesiot, that's the moment that was most effective. I think it's a message that's quite clear to us. I think we overlook it from time to time, especially, and I'm not in this profession, I hate to say thank God, but in business, you need to be about the external. You need to be about the optics. You need to sell your goods. You need to be able to present yourself in a way that uh, the other side believes something that maybe is true. You need to be able to build it up. I understand. But in terms of who we are as people, in terms of who we are as a nation, in terms of our relationship with one another, and certainly with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I think the lesson of Parashat Toledot, by contrasting the Esav personality, who looks at the redness of the soup instead of the soup itself, and that's how he speaks. The Esav who can't understand the essence of Bechorah, responsibility and future vision and involvement to the Yaakov, as the Hachamim has it, who has that pure and pristine kol, as opposed to the Yadayim of Esav, I think the lesson is quite clear to each of us. It's not per se what it looks like in our Avodat Hashem. It's not per se what it feels like at times. It's what it is. How is it and what is it that we bring in our relationship to God? Are we earnest? Are we genuine? Are we speaking to Him when we pray Amidah? Are we just counting the amount of minutes that we stand there so that it feels and appears right? Are we speaking to Him and seeking and searching for Him in the words of the Gemara as we're doing so? Are we just checking off the boxes that we went to class and we learned that day? The essence, the genuine inner part of who we are in relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a lesson that certainly I learned from those two encounters last week in Israel, but I think the parashah and parashat toledot, by contrasting the ways of Esav as a superficial individual with those of Yaakov as a person of essence, very much can and will teach us. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.